we're continuing our series on practical passages with a passage on obedience. Now, it might not sound like much fun to study, but this passage is actually one that changed my perspective a lot as I came across it 15 years ago or so. And I'm hoping it does the same for you. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So before we get to 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, I want to give you just a little background and context. So the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to them to bring them out, and it happened in dramatic fashion. Read the book of Exodus. It's phenomenal. And God supplied for the people water and food while they were in the desert going from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. Now, they were still fairly new into this whole trek from Egypt to Canaan when they were attacked by a nation, a heathen nation called the Amalekites. And so the children of Israel, who were just slaves not long ago, had to go to war. And God allowed them to have a victory that day. But when the victory was over, this is what we read from Exodus 17, verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as a memorial and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely erase the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. So God said, you know, you had to defeat this, uh, this day you won, you defeated them, but this isn't the end because eventually I'm going to destroy them completely. Okay. So we're going to fast forward. So a lot of time has passed in Israel's history. They have overtaken the land of Canaan. It's now called the land of Israel. Lots has happened. The whole book of Joshua judges, and they've had a prophet who was leading them. His name was Samuel for a time, but then Israel really wanted a king. So God allowed them to have a king, the first king of Israel. His name was King Saul. And so Samuel was still acting as God's mouthpiece, and he went to Saul and said, The Lord wants you to completely destroy the Amalekites. So God gives, through Samuel, a super clear directive to Saul. Destroy them completely. Saul went to war. He sort of followed the instructions. He did destroy everything that was weak and despised. But he kept the king alive. And he also kept all the best sheep cattle, young calves, lambs, all that. And the soldiers and Saul brought those back from battle. That night, God spoke to Samuel. And this is what he said. This is 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. So God gave clear instructions to King Saul. Totally destroy the Amalekites. Super clear. In God's eyes, sort of obeying is disobeying. So Samuel went to find Saul. 
Saul, by the way, was busy erecting a monument to himself because he had just had this great victory. In his eyes, it was a victory. He did what he thought that he was supposed to do. So when he sees Saul, or I'm sorry, when King Saul sees Samuel coming, he says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. To which Samuel responds, then why do I hear the lowing of cattle and the bleeding of sheep? And Saul said, oh, well, I mean, I did obey the Lord. I just, you know, we kept some things as a sacrifice to God. So we kept the best, but it would be a sacrifice to God. It's all good. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people. Why did you not obey the Lord? Saul said, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to the Lord, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. This is the passage that kind of changed everything for me. And we're going to break it down. We're going to go through that because you might be going, wait, I don't get it. What is he saying here? Okay, so to heed means to pay attention. And rebellion is to resist authority. So what Samuel is saying is God would much rather have you obey him than to go give a big offering afterwards. To heed, pay attention to the details. What did God tell you to do? That's what he's asking. He's He asked you to completely destroy. That's completely destroy. Rebellion is to go against authority, to say, no, God, you said this, but look, in my mind, this makes better sense. This makes total sense. This is what we should do. And isn't that what sin is? It's rebellion against God and saying, well, God maybe says this, but I think this. Or that doesn't seem like that would be the best way to do things, so I'm going to do things my way. And we still want God's blessing while we're doing it. Now, divination, what is that? That's calling on spirits to find the people, the future, I'm sorry. And idolatry is reverence for anything other than God. So to give respect, to give something else, a higher place in your life, like your own thoughts. How do you think it should be? That is idolatry. So God is saying to disobey is really idolatry. It's nothing more than sinning against my authority in your life. Now, when we look at that, that really puts into perspective how important obedience is to God. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more because God makes this really 
astonishingly clear throughout his word. So if you read the book of Exodus, I've had the marvelous experience lately of being able to do this. I've read Exodus, Numbers, uh, Joshua, Judges, and I'm just about to Ruth now. And I, I read them all like within just a few days. And when you read the book of Exodus, you see that God's people continually rebelled against him. So these people that were led out of Egypt, God showed them so many miraculous signs and proved himself over and over and over that he was fighting for them and supplying them with everything they needed. And they got to the edge, the border of Canaan. And they're like, these people are huge. Yeah, the land is great, but these people are huge. And God had even told Moses as he sent, and sent the spies out, he said, send some spies into the land that I am giving you. So God's promise was sure. You, this is your land. Go, go check it out. It's like handing someone keys to the house that you just bought for them. Go check out your new house. And yet the people were like, mm, it's too much work. I mean, there's no way we can't do it. They refused to trust God. They refused to obey what he wanted them to do, which is just to go take the land. And when you read the book of Joshua, which happens 40 years later, so the that generation all died in the desert. God allowed them to basically have their words come true. You don't think that you can take the land? Great. Then go die in the desert and I'll bring your children in. So throughout the book of Joshua, you see that as, as Joshua and the Israelites took the land, God was fighting for them. It wasn't by their own effort. They marched around the walls of Jericho and they fell down. They didn't <laughs> chisel them and, you know, get a batting ram. And God defeated the people of the land. He did the work. So he would have done it 40 years prior, but the people didn't believe. They didn't obey what they were told to do. So you fast forward to the book of Judges. So Joshua has died and Joshua is a great leader. He, he had been really brought up and mentored by Moses. So Moses led the children of Israel. Then Joshua led the children of Israel. And then no clear leader emerged. And because of that, the people just kept falling into sin. Over and over and over, they just fell into sin. And I just found it so interesting that the children of Israel would cry out to God when they were enslaved by people again and again, and God would deliver them. Well, in Judges chapter 10, we read this. So hmm, the people have been enslaved once again, and several people took them over. And finally, the people of Israel called out to the Lord. This is verse 10. We have sinned against you, for we have forsaken our gods and have served the Baals. So finally, they admitted. By the way, they've been enslaved for 18 years at this point. At this, the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not deliver you from Egypt, from the Amorites, the Ammonites, and the Philistines? When the Sidonians and Amalek and man oppressed you, and you called to me, I delivered you from their hands. It is you who have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. 
Go, cry to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them deliver you at the time of your distress. Again, God's saying, look, we've been through this. This is a vicious cycle. We keep doing the same thing. I deliver you. You stay faithful to me as long as that deliverer lives. He dies and immediately you go right back to worshiping other gods. So you want to worship other gods? Let them deliver you now. But the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do whatever seems good in your eyes, but please save us today. When they removed the foreign gods from their midst and served the Lord, he could no longer refrain from relieving the misery of Israel. Astonishing. When the people just called out to God, God was like, just serve your idols. You've got all these idols all over. When they actually took the idols and and got rid of them, God couldn't help himself. He had to act on behalf of the people. He had to deliver them because he couldn't stand to see these people who were committed to him suffering. That should mean something to us. We should see something in that, that God sees our devotion and he acts on our behalf. Now, I didn't want to just leave us in the Old Testament because this same idea and concept is reiterated in the New Testament. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he had um, time in the upper room where he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And the Apostle John recorded much of what Jesus told his disciples during that time. John 14 verse 15 says this, If you love me, obey my commands. So one of the things that Jesus thought was important for his disciples to know on the last day that he was alive, in the last few hours that he had with him, with them, was to obey his commands. Now, I've referred you before to the website that's gotquestions.org, and I found some very interesting um, material on that regarding this passage. So it says, the unmistakable meaning of the passage is that obedience to Christ's commandments is both a sign and a test of our love for him. Commandments encompass all of Jesus' words and teaching. So it's not just like try to keep the Ten Commands, commandments, but all that Jesus was showing us all throughout his life, the three years that are recorded for us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to embrace that, to see it as truth, to recognize how Jesus lived, to try to emulate it, to just serve God by living like Jesus and taking his word seriously instead of being part of the world. And gotquestions.org went on to say this, which I thought was very potent. Uh, Immediately after Jesus makes that statement, he says, and I will give you the father and he will give you another counselor, sometimes depending on the translation, advocate, to help you. Jesus knows that keeping his commands in this fallen world will require a divine source of power in the form of the Holy Spirit's presence living in us. God knows that we're in this fallen world. He knows that everything 
is contrary to his word. He doesn't expect it to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to do everything right. And he doesn't expect us to do it on our own. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. He does, however, we see in the account of Saul, expect us to take his commandments seriously. We're not supposed to just read God's word and then shut it. And then like the book of James says, go away and immediately forgot whatever we read. Just go on with your life. Great. That was a nice little devotion. Sounds like some good moral ideas and then just keep living however we want. If we notice so often the way of the world just is more emptiness. So Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who isn't weary, tired, overwhelmed? Who isn't burdened, load heavy? How easy it is to become that in this world. You have 8 million things to do. The world says you should do this. Your kids aren't going to be happy if you don't do this. You should be doing this. Make sure you have the house. Make sure you have the marriage. Make sure you have the Instagram. Make sure you do this. You got to hustle. You got to make so much money. You got to do this. Jesus is like, if you want rest, if you want true rest, true rest for your souls, come, take my yoke upon you. Let's walk together. Let's do this together. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's commands are not just these horrific things that are meant to make us miserable. God's commands bring us to freedom. So I've said this before, but you know, living according to the world is what brings us so much shame and guilt. That's like having a yoke around our neck that's heavy and that's burdensome. So when you speed and you get a ticket, you feel that shame and then you have a ticket and then your insurance goes up. Or when you decide to do relationships your way. So God says, you know, wait until you're married to have sex, that the marriage bed is is pure by, you know, God's gift of sex to a married couple, but that doesn't sound very fun. And anyway, how do I know my marriage is going to work if I don't have sex with this person beforehand? So we do things our way. And then there's the guilt there's, there's the shame. There's the, why isn't this working out? Why doesn't he want to marry me now? We've been dating for three years and I still don't have a ring. Why is it that he's not committing to me? All these things that we think is going to be easier and we think is going to bring us more joy and more happiness. And yet bottom line is, it's like wearing the yoke of slavery around our, our neck. Things don't work out. And then we're emotionally attached to somebody in a way that we didn't have to be. And all these things that we go through because we refuse to do things God's way. Instead of allowing him to say, look, my commands are for your good. 
I'm your maker. I know you better than anyone. And I'll give you these commands. And if you live this way, I guarantee you, this is the path of freedom. This is the path that's going to keep you from all the things that could hurt you. 1 John 5.3, written by the Apostle John, later on in his life, says this, This is love for God, to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. I feel like that's something that I need to keep, you know, on my mirror. Like, just remembering God's commands are for our good. They are meant to bless us and help us and guide us. And that's what we all want. We all want the rest that God offers us. We all want the peace. So today's episode is really just a reminder that obedience is super important to God and that we can obey Him by reading His Word and knowing His Word and following His Word. I just want to take a second to thank you for listening and for reviewing and rating this podcast if you've done it lately. All these things help it get noticed in people's eyes. So as our ratings and our reviews, that we have more reviews and higher ratings, other people will notice podcasts that aren't typically visible to them otherwise. So thank you for those of you who have rated and reviewed Little Things. And if you haven't, please consider doing so. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.